Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. joined today by Helen Joy. Helen, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So Helen, maybe briefly for the audience, you'd tell us a little bit about yourself and and why you love working with people so much. Lovely, thank you. So my business is PeopleSpark. The idea being that I am, that the business is the spark that creates the inspiration and motivation for your people to want to change their behaviours. I focus primarily on new future um, and early career leaders. So the Uh managers that are the the specialists who, quite often the technical specialists who are being primed for people management or the people who have been put into management roles but haven't Uh had support. And it's all about giving them the people skills to go alongside those technical skills to make sure that they are in the best position to make sure that their teams have everything they need to excel. Is it management or leadership or both? It's both. Okay. Because they are two quite different things in my mind. Mm -hmm. So managers get stuff done Mm -hmm. and they make sure that the sort of the administrative side of things gets Mm -hmm. done Mm -hmm. whereas the leaders that's all about the vision that's all about the inspiration the motivation um the relationship side of the role if management and leadership are two different things can all people do both i like to believe that they can if they want to i believe that all managers can be leaders Mm -hmm. and in fairness all leaders aren't necessarily the best managers the management for me is the technical side of it and the leadership is the kind of the art rather than the science. Some of the best leaders I've worked for have been middle managers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So great at getting the job done, but by making us want to do it, mm-hmm. by engaging us with that vision of what our role is within that team and then what our role is within that wider organisation as well. Yes, okay. What's the definition of a leader? For me, leaders are the people who support their people to excel. It's very similar to coaching, really, because it's mm-hmm. about, about getting the best out of people. Mm-hmm. That, for me, that's the distinction. So in businesses, it's something that I used to work on. We used to call it leadership at all levels. So it was about encouraging those leadership skills in as many people in the business as you could. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to be a manager, mm-hmm. but you could embody that spirit of leadership which is Mm -hmm. about wanting everyone around you to be able to achieve and and, then to reach their maximum potential. 
Mm-hmm. It's about making sure that everything is in place for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's not just the equipment mm. processes mm. and the policies and all of that. It is the recognition mm-hmm. that they need in order to get the best out of them. Are they rewarded appropriately? Mm-hmm. Do they listen to? Do they get feedback? Do they give feedback? Mm-hmm. Yeah all of that structure in place and that for me is is the whole that makes the leader stand out from the manager because the manager makes sure that the processes are there they make sure the policies are there they make sure that things are ticked off a list Mm. but the leadership side is they're making sure all that gets done because they've got a motivated inspired engaged team who are all chosen for their strengths anthony gale who's one of my favorite leadership writers calls it extreme strengths and it's Mm -hmm. about encouraging the individuals to take those strengths so rather than focusing on people's weaknesses and trying to pull those up Mm -hmm. let's focus on the strengths in our team and let's pick what somebody's good at and let's really get them to the very top of that it's not Mm. to say that we ignore their weaknesses but we mitigate for those weaknesses that's kind of cool, extreme strengths. That sounds like, yeah, let's get it done. <laughs> really to the best. But to manage to get a task done, there's still an element of being able to bring people with you. And people that are listening to this all have a technical background. And that's often very task and process driven as well. And sometimes people moving into a management position fail then because they don't know how to bring people with them. So you cannot be a manager, a good manager without... No, you can't. And this has been one of my bugbears for my entire uh, Mm -hmm. learning and development careers because Mm -hmm. the amount of time, amount of organisations that people are promoted for their technical ability with absolutely no concern focus or support given around the people side of it drives me mad Mm. because all you're doing is setting people up for failure Mm. because yes some people who are great at technical stuff are also really good people people Mm -hmm. um even people people aren't always skilled in the right way they might be great at getting on with people mm-hmm. but are they great at managing conflict are they great mm. at dealing with underperformance mm. are they great at understanding why something's not working right and how to get to the bottom of that with an individual mm. um, and they're not always mm. i was the worst manager in the world and I think this is why I feel so passionate about what I do my first management role I was awful because because I just I I was a manager I mean Mm. I came up through the insurance industry so it's not really focused around people generally certainly wasn't back in the 90s but you know my job was to make sure that people that sat around near me filled out as many bits of paper and did as many things as they were supposed to do in the time given that's what I did I was not very nice about it I can't imagine that Helen it's like a different person it was fear okay you were afraid of I was afraid of being seen to be weak because before I went into that role I was very much me and I checked overnight because that was what I thought I had to be because wow supervisors above me that was their style and so 
I just kind of changed into this person that I thought should be. And I was just awful. And I knew I was awful. I knew I was really uncomfortable. They were uncomfortable. Um, I did eventually get sent on some training, which, you know, oh God, this was the mid nineties. So it wasn't brilliant, but it was, it was okay. Mm. And, and there were a few kind of moments of, Oh, but what's really difficult is the culture that I was in. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult to make that shift because they weren't looking for leaders. They wanted managers to get the job done. Interesting. And I don't think I became the manager that suits my style and the leader until many, many years later when I interestingly went to the NHS. Wow. And did that take a personal toll? Mm. Yeah. I went from being really driven and motivated and I did get promoted Mm -hmm. really really well Mm -hmm. in that environment but being a person that isn't me because you know Mm. you can't imagine me being that person Mm. but I was that person for six years and I was deeply unhappy wow in that role because it it absolutely clashed with my values of who I am and how I treat people and how I behave and how I believe you should treat people and encourage them. And But then what happened at the NHS? What was the, the spark for you? I, um, I was given the freedom to do whatever I wanted. And the, the wonderful lady who brought me in, she just said, look, you're the admin expert. We're about patients. We're about, because I went to the x-ray department. Mm-hmm. We're about x-rays. We're about this. You, we're trusting you to come in and deliver the support structures that we need. And you've got, I had 32 people. I was 26. I had 32 people working. Wow. And, and do various different shifts because it was a 24-hour system and most of them were older than me and that was different it was a bit like okay don't really know what i'm doing mm-hmm. but I'll and, and i made a couple of big errors of judgment in those first couple of weeks and then i went away and thought right this is my chance to do this the way i want to do it mm-hmm. um, and the way that i'd managed before didn't fit mm-hmm. because the people were very different the drivers were very different and I went away and, and did some reading and kind of thought, hmm, there are different ways. Because I didn't get the training. In the NHS, they were like, yeah, there's no money for training for that kind of stuff. So you did it yourself? Basically, yeah. Yeah. And then I was very lucky that I got into an environment where they believed in training. So I left the NHS and went into work in recruitment. And they mm. were really into training. They were really into giving their managers autonomy, responsibility, you're called business managers because their office was their business they had mm. every element that they could control i mean there was obviously some areas that they financially they couldn't control but they were responsible for what they paid their staff how many staff they had what they brought in mm-hmm. what their markets were and luckily for me they were kind of right you know we're going to give you all of this management training because we want you to be responsible mm-hmm. and we want you to take that responsibility mm-hmm. Where did you go from management to thinking more about leadership? When I was in the NHS, because it it was such a bureaucratic 
environment. Everyone knew exactly what they had to do. Uh-huh. The, the person and the leader that I became uh-huh. started to develop there because uh-huh. I didn't understand the technical stuff. So I just had, and, and the, you know, the admin wasn't massively technical, but it was all very tedious. And I was a bit like, nah, I'll, I'll just make sure everyone's happy. Yeah. Because yeah. we're doing shifts, we've got fairly crappy jobs sometimes, under a lot of pressure, we're not brilliantly paid, we're working 24 hours, and most people were there for the love of what they were doing. Yeah. So that's where I think I saw that. I, I really went through that journey of the job's getting done. I need to make sure that everybody's as happy as they can possibly be in this environment because it, it was very, very easy to walk away from there and get a job that was better paid and had less shifts. I had to create that team, that environment, that culture. And it's quite easy with people that work in the NHS, to be fair. Yeah. They're there for a passion more than yeah. to make loads of money. So I was very, very lucky that I had that stepping stone. Here's how not to treat people. Here's how to treat people. Now, take both of those and, and be the person that actually is who you are inside. Yeah. And my strength isn't necessarily in the technical stuff. I will I'll still deliver training modules where I cannot remember whose theory I'm talking about, I have to have it down because it doesn't stick in my brain. Yeah. But what I'm good at is getting people excited about the fact there's a theory behind. I can connect that left part of my brain now with the right part. And you can translate it, I presume, into a way that, like you said, sparks people or inspires them. Yeah, I'm much more intuitive than technical, but it's for me, especially around technical people, when I work with accountants, when I work with solicitors, when I work with IT people, for me, it is very much around helping them open up that door into that right side of the brain. Mm. And that comes with, here's the model, here's the theory, here's mm-hmm. the model. Oh yeah, we love and models, we do. Here's how to <laughs> translate And here's what those models create in people if you do, if you do these things. And I'm watching those technical people go, oh, oh, this is why that person responds really well to that. I need to do more of that. That happened and watching those technical people step out, because sometimes it's fear, sometimes it is. I'm very much driven by data and I'm driven by fact and I'm driven by logic. And, and those things over there, I know they're there and I know other people like them, but they scare me a bit because I don't necessarily use them all the time. But watching that little door open. If you've got a room of technical people doing a training, what's the typical area that perhaps people have the most questions around. Why? <laughs> yeah, but why what? <laughs> you always start with a why. Yeah. Why is that important? Um, yeah, it, it's funny, isn't it? I was, I was trying to think, it's, it's the dealing with conflict. Ah, interesting. Yeah. That's usually the, the bit, because a lot of introverted people and, and I, I use that in a wider sense as in more not introverted personality wise, but introverted in terms of how they come to their decision making, mm. um, is that they tend to avoid conflict. And, and mm. most people tend to avoid conflict. Mm. You know? mm. When you are in a role, which means that you can get on and, and, and deliver your role by yourself or within a small team of people who mm-hmm. are all very, very like-minded and, and kind of it's all about getting the job. When you then step out of, that role and your role is making sure everybody else 
delivers and gets their job. When that's not happening, that has to be addressed. When you've stepped into that role, that absolutely has to be addressed. And nobody really likes dealing with that. They don't. And, and it's all about developing the skill set to diffuse that before it starts. And that's yes. not and they not allow it to become a conflict. And mm-hmm. um, or it can be it can be two people in your team that just don't get on. Mm. And you know that this is going to escalate and you have to deal with that. That is the biggest thing that people are afraid of, having to deal with conflict. Conflict in, in and of itself doesn't have to be a negative thing. You have differing opinions does not mean that there is anything wrong with that person. They have a different perspective. And actually when you understand more about somebody else's perspective, it is amazing how often you can be swayed in your arguments. And mm. it doesn't not a bad thing doesn't make you a bad person if listening to somebody else's perspective helps you change your mind that's how we evolve and change and grow but when people worry that it any any conflict is going to lead to a negative conflict and an aggressive confrontation when people start to to worry mm. and i wonder how much conflict in the workplace actually does turn into negative confrontation. Because I've found often, if you're reasonable when you approach someone and you recognize that it might not be an easy conversation, but you're, you stay calm, you can generally keep the other person calm too. Or, you know, you've got to take your emotions out. It has to be fact-based and you have to look at what am I... By having this conversation, what am I trying to get out of it? What yes. do I want to see different? What yeah. behaviours do I want to stop seeing, see more of, what have you? Mm. And, you know, you, we all know sometimes when you go into those conversations, are the people that are going to, you know, the two biggest emotional responses that you get, which nine times out of ten don't happen anyway. You're mm-hmm. like, like panicking that someone's going to cry or punch you. Barely happens. Is that once you kind of accept that if that is going to happen... Just let it roll mm. a little mm. bit. Let mm. them get that emotional response out of the way because they are not going to respond while they are in that emotional state. Yeah. Or they're not going to respond in the way that you want in that emotional state. And they have to get beyond that before anything else is ever going to happen. Before they'll see clearly again as well it's like you say it's that's a reaction but it's not necessarily the real reaction they want to give it's their protection against fear shame embarrassment worry concern about their job concern about how you think about them about how other people think about them that is just an emotional Mm. protection Mm. oh god the amount of times that I've gone through role plays where we've had to say to people, right, okay, yeah, take the tissues in. If you think this is going to be a tearful response, take the tissues in the room. Do not stand up halfway through where this person's crying their eyes out. Come out of that office, walk through everybody else, rolling your eyes, go and get a tissue box and come back. (laughs) (laughs) I always had tissues at my desk. Leaders do, managers don't. (laughs) Also, if the other side of that is that you think you're going to get an aggressive response, if you are really seriously worried about a violent outburst, Mm -hmm. make sure somebody else is in there with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it may be that that 
means that that person does get more violent because there's two of you but actually that's a safer way of doing it for, for mm. you because you know I've had people who have been threatened with being punched I've never had anyone's actually been punched but they've been threatened with it and and if you feel that having that conversation that is a genuine threat it doesn't mean you don't have the conversation and you say to that person you know this is you know this is the situation this is where it is because of our experience our history I have a concern that your reaction may be on the aggressive side so I've brought someone else in you know if you want to get rant and rave that's fine rant and rave but actually rant and rave on your own in the room because I'm going to step out and I'm going to come back when it's not acceptable to rant and rave at me but if you feel that there's you know yeah but it's also probably not necessarily directed at you have you read the the chimp paradox that's what that is isn't it it's that reaction that can happen to anyone and you actually don't even know when it might happen um but you can learn to quieten it and get better at managing it but you never know what's going to trigger it no no and, and sometimes the most unusual people can can respond in a way that you didn't expect and sometimes the people that you lie awake worrying about mm. respond completely differently yeah and but having that really clear idea what you're going to say what the outcome is that you want makes such a big difference and having your fact the examples of the things that you want to see different yeah. take that emotional bit out of it because yeah. it's about how it makes you feel it's about yeah and i think trying to predict what the other person's going to say isn't the best use of your time either is it it's really managing your own self for that meeting is what will pay off in the long run and once they've got over that emotional response be genuinely curious about the reasons for that behavior mm. Mm. because again nine times out of ten it's not what you think it is mm. Mm. when you actually give that person the opportunity to be honest with you mm-hmm. it's amazing what you find out Mm, that's lovely actually that's really powerful isn't it and if you're not taking it personally it's not directed at you then and you you're brave because I think there's an element of bravery isn't there and courage to just say yeah is there something behind that what's the best way of opening that up Helen is there a preferred sentence or more empathetic way I think it, the, the challenge can be, it might not come in that first conversation because yeah, yeah. if they, if you've never had this kind of conversation before, or if you've never been the boss that people felt they could open up to, mm-hmm. it isn't always going to happen in the first conversation. But that first conversation is about, about highlighting what the issue is. Mm giving them a chance to understand what needs to change and why it needs to change and a chance to work out how they're going to change it. Because there might be circumstances that mean it's not as simple as, oh, right, okay, well, I'll start doing that tomorrow. Because actually underneath it, and this is where that, you know, curiosity, and, and it's around that for me is about, you know, is there anything that would benefit me to know Mm -hmm. help you Mm -hmm. make those changes Mm -hmm. and 
again, it, at that point, it might be that they just go, no, it's fine, I'll deal with it. Mm. And then it's about having that review and saying, right, okay, well, let's have another chat about it tomorrow mm-hmm. when you've had a chance to go away and reflect because we appreciate that this may have come as a shock to you. Mm-hmm. This may, you know, go away and think about it. if there's anything that I can help you with. But it's got to come from a point of honesty. It's got to be a genuine mm. offer because mm. people know when it's not. Oh, they do. We all do. And when it's not, they'll just go, Doof. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go away and go, right, okay, well, I will change whatever behaviour it is. I will be here at nine o'clock. If it kills me, I will be here at nine o'clock. But I won't explain to you that these are the circumstances outside of work that are making this really difficult. Yeah, often it is, isn't it? And one of the things I used to always try and do is if somebody wasn't behaving their normal self, for want of a better term, is go for lunch with them or go for a drink after work. Because also you take someone out of the environment of work and they might feel, you know, more at ease. And often I would think it was going to be about work, whatever was going on, but it never was. No. And, and this is, I think, again, for me, this is the difference between the manager and the leader is the relationships that you have with your team. Mm in that you have one with every single member of that team you have a genuine honest open relationship with the team now as a when you are in that position there will be things you can't tell them Mm. there will be things that you can't discuss but that does not mean that you can't have a respectful professional honest open relationship with that individual and you know, I've, I've known managers who've said, oh, well, I don't want to be friends with them because I might have to sack them. Or I'm going to have to tell them off. And it's, it's not about being friends with them. No. It is about understanding what makes them tick and how you can get them to be their best self at work. Yeah, and respecting the individual human being with all their messiness. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason I was such a bitch of a manager because I had a terrible domestic situation at that point when mm. I went into that role mm. and I couldn't be the bitch at home. So I got to do it. At... I got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. It had to come out somewhere. It was a case of, well, my job is to make sure you do your job. So rather than be the genuine person who was behind the horrible domestic situation I just took all that and and it came out there and it is you know if anybody sat down with me and said why have you suddenly changed from being this nice person that we employed and promoted and put into this position Mm. why have you suddenly started being a right hag yeah and if I'd have but then there I wouldn't have told them I'd have just gone well that's what you expect of me well, they were probably proud of you. <laughs> they kept promoting me, so they must have been. There you go. You see, you were taking all the boxes, we're doing all the dirty work, you know, <laughs> and the job was getting done. If you've got that professional, honest, respectful relationship with somebody, mm-hmm. and if you have a culture where feedback is part and parcel mm. of the environment, and I'm a massive believer in catch people doing something right, because if People get used to you telling them that was a brilliant call. I really like the way that you closed them down, got that appointment, or you really handled that customer well then. And, you know, you could tell that they were getting quite upset, but you did a brilliant job. 
it's really easy to then just be able to go to them and go, oh God, that sounded really tough. Mm. Did, you know, did that go the way you wanted it to? Mm. And, you know, because more often than not, we are harder on ourselves than anyone else could ever be. So you can guarantee they get off that phone and they just to be able to go, actually, do you know what? I really, God, I should have said this and I should have said that. And, and to, go, to have someone who says, do you know, yeah, well, that's great because you'll try that next time, won't you? Mm. Rather than, yes, you should. Mm. Or why didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I heard that. That was terrible. Yeah. It's, it's all about how how you have those conversations and, and I do think that is one of the things that makes me good at what I do now is that I have done the job I am mm. not just standing there as a mm. management and leadership consultant without having ever done it it is mm-hmm. god I've, I've I've learned the hard way you've been through the trenches <laughs> I come in there and I've got so many terrible tales to tell you I've also got the positives but I can yeah. tell yeah. but I think that it is that the amount of times that you you do handle stuff badly and, and you know I have one particular and I, I won't share it because it was so awful <laughs> oh damn <laughs> it was awful it was it was I handled something so badly mm. and I knew even as it is this car crash meeting was going on mm. I just wanted to say do you know what can we stop again mm. but I didn't have the courage to do that and actually I think they'd have respected me way more if I'd have just gone, do you know what? I'm completely screwing this up. I'm really sorry. Mm. Let's just start again and mm. ignore anything that I've said so far. Tell me what's wrong. Would have been a way better way to handle it. I've been in this field for 20 years and so much has changed in that time. And, mm. you know, we still use a lot of the same principles and models, but the willingness to to understand that the stuff I've been banging on about for 20 years actually has value mm. <laughs> and has a massive benefit to the bottom mm. line of your business if you give your people the opportunity to do what they're best at mm-hmm. do it to the best of their abilities and the responsibility to get on and do it and the trust to make that happen mm-hmm. they will bring you so much back mm. Um, I was talking to someone this morning, we were talking about the fact that only 15, no, 16% of people in the UK are engaged, fully engaged and passionate about their job. Another 15% hate their job. That leaves a really big, you're the the accountant, that leaves a big number in the middle that really don't care. And that worries me more than the number of people that hate their job. It's very scary and because, you know, the, we're, we've been having this conversation and clearly things have changed a lot in the last 20 years. But why are there still so many people that don't know how to manage or lead? I think because people like me and people like you and people who passionately believe this stuff works. Mm-hmm. Have been open to it for a long time there's a massive culture shift isn't there there's a massive massive demographic shift in the workplace the demographics of the world have changed so much and that all of this leadership thinking and and the belief that people can add so much more value than the return on their salary if you mm-hmm. allow people to flourish and build on their strengths and use their strengths and, and mm-hmm. teams that that work like that. That that thinking, it's only now that people that genuinely believe that are getting into the positions of real power to change that across a whole industry. 
you know, those millennials are shifting into the workplace now and they want something different and mm. they believe, mm. you know, and, and that, that power. Yeah. And I suppose we're kind of the generation in the middle because I do think we get forgotten a bit, our generation. And it's like the millennials are getting credit. I sound like an old grump now, but, <laughs> but I do think we forge the way of it. It's like being the eldest child in a family. You know, you make it easier for the ones coming after you by taking those risks. And, and, and I think maybe we were the ones who went, you know, this isn't very comfortable. We don't like how we're being treated, but they're coming along going, we're not going to be treated like yeah. this. Yeah, absolutely. In the same way that, you know, the, the feminists of the 60s and the 70s did all the hard work. And, you know, well, this, well to be fair, this is a long way to go. But, you know, <laughs> this is not a good argument. <laughs> we, we grew up believing that we, we do anything. Do whatever. Mm -hmm. To our detriment to, you know, we genuinely believe that we could have it all. <laughs> At, you know yeah. and be perfect at everything at the same time and it, it's not that easy but but I genuinely grew up mm. believing that I could do and be anything I wanted and I mm. think that's because of those 60s and 70s and, and early mm. 80s people that went out there kind of making it happen and then there is still a long long way to go I would love you know my my aim is to change everybody workplace in this country got a hell of a way to go yeah and but it can happen and it can change and it is changing and it's changing slightly faster than it has been doing before. Yeah. I think the opportunity cost of not doing this mm -hmm. is being realised now by the people with their fingers in the, in the money. Mm. Um, and I think if you've got a great finance director and a great HR director in a business, mm. those two working together can absolutely change. With a great leader. If you're a technical person or no matter who you are, how do you get work-life balance? There's only one person that can do that. Mm -hmm. And you have got, you are the only person who can decide where those boundaries are and where those barriers are and where to stick to them and where to let them wobble a bit. But you have to start those boundaries. You have, mm. to, because especially with technology now, you sometimes you are expected to be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But we don't do ourselves any favours because we go, oh, just answer that at seven o'clock because I'm sat here just about to have dinner. Well, that sets that expectation that you will always respond at seven o'clock. Mm. You know, my boss is up at five and always shoots off all these emails. Well, that's fine. Mm. But don't reply to them when you get up. Mm. Reply to them at a time that mm. they have set time to respond to things. And it's the more senior you get, the more difficult that is. But... You know, it is and it isn't because if you know yourself well at a point when you get more senior and you've done this and it's worked for years then actually you say this is how I work yeah. and other people will have to struggle with it because <laughs> yeah. it is that you know of course there's always going to be you know crisis management and that's different yeah. people will wherever your boundaries are people will push them yes, yes. and unless you are absolutely strict about that and again you know i think you you get more senior you tend to have you know it tends to come with age which means that you have more outside responsibilities as well mm -hmm. that is that is your choice mm -hmm. that is absolutely your choice to say no i am not working beyond five o'clock today because i am going picking my kid up from football mm -hmm. or i'm going watching their rugby match or mm -hmm. i'm going doing whatever mm -hmm. 
but it's easier said than done and I suppose that's the brilliant thing about having varied experience as well like you've had Helen throughout your career which makes you like you said way you know you've got stories for everything when you've got people in front of you so how does someone get in front of you how does someone work with Helen well my website is www.people-spark.co.uk I'm on LinkedIn Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm on there quite a bit um, but because I love it because I love that ability to connect mm-hmm. people of, of all sorts of different industries and, and different places and countries in my region I think it's fabulous brilliant and the last thing I want to ask you which might be like <laughs> maybe I should have asked this question first but if I go onto Amazon I want to buy a book on leadership and I type in leadership they're over 50,000 titles. Now, they, they can't all be saying the same thing, or can they? But if I'm exploring my own leadership style and I can't afford training or coaching, where might I start? My favourite book is The Book of Leadership by mm-hmm. Anthony Bell. Because for me, it is, it's really practical. It's broken down to three areas. It's, it's self-leadership. Mm-hmm team leadership mm-hmm. and organizational leadership cool. and it's brilliant because it's just so practical and easy to read it's enjoyable to read and there's also the five dysfunctions of a team oh. and what I love about that is it also comes with um, you can also buy like the workbook which is mm-hmm. the field guide which is overcoming the five dysfunctions and again oh, cool. written as a as a story and it, it just makes it Come to life? Yeah, and and it takes you through the five different elements that that you have in a really, really well-functioning team. And then this this field guide is is fantastic because it takes it gives you exercises and things to do for each of the different levels, which is brilliant. Um, And then, yeah, the chimp paradox as well, because I think understanding yourself and understanding your responses and your reactions to things and learning how to manage that Mm -hmm. is, is a massive, massive thing for a... Well, look, Helen, it was a joy. (laughs) I'm not joking. (laughs) It was an absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you so much for your time. And maybe we'll do it again some other day. Oh, I could talk about this for hours, as you know. But no, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers.